Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. Glad that you've joined us this morning. We're going to be studying Romans chapter 12 this morning. I encourage you to open your Bibles there, Romans chapter 12. So New Testament, and then you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, and then Acts. And then right after Acts is Romans. And we're in chapter 12, so you can turn there in your Bible or, or in your Bible app. Uh, so we're going to begin this morning by reading our text, which comes from Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we we thank you that we have this time dedicated and set aside to read it, to consider it, to apply it to our lives. And we pray that, Lord, as we do that this morning, that we would truly hear your voice speaking to us through your word, and Lord, that truly we would we'd be people whose lives are affected by these living words. Lord, we pray that as we come to them, Lord, you would do a work inside of us, a transformative work. Lord, we pray that we would see you, Jesus, that we would understand the gospel in a more clear way, and that it would change our lives. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, relationships are a pretty big deal. I, I think you know that. They're a huge part of our lives, and we all have relationships. That's the thing. Relationships make up a huge part of our lives. We all have them, right? So whether it's a relationship parent to child or spouse to spouse, whether it's a friendship, maybe it's a dating relationship or a working relationship with colleagues or business partners, or even your relationship with your neighbors, life is made up of relationships. And our relationships are probably the most significant aspect of what makes our lives our lives. I was watching a documentary the other day with my kids. It was about the development of the internet. It was really interesting watching all these news reports from like the, the early 90s where people are like, what is the internet? Who, who's in charge of it? Like, what do, we're never going to use this thing. It's totally useless. Like, it's never going to catch on. And apparently it did, you know, but it was cool showing my kids, like, here's what a dial-up modem sounded like, you know, and, and there were all these news reports, like I said, but, but here's what was interesting. They, they said that as the internet developed, the, the thing that caused it to change from being like a tool that people use, like universities and businesses use, to being something that everybody used, was when it shifted into being something that people used for social purposes. In other words, when it was started to be used for interpersonal relationships, that's when it changed. That's when it took off. And if you consider nowadays how big social media has gotten, it just solidifies this point that as human beings, we are relational creatures. We long for contact with other people. We are relational beings and social creatures. 
years. Theologians believe that this is part of the mark of God. You know, the Bible says that we are created in God's image because God is a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is one God who exists eternally in three persons, perfectly unified in dynamic relationship with one another. And we are created in that image. And so therefore we are relational beings. Not only are relationships a big part of our lives, but God cares a lot about how we do relationships. He has a lot to say about our relationships. And, and here's part of the reason for that. There are several, but here's one of the reasons. You have never met a person who has terrible interpersonal relationships and is at the same time a happy and joyful person. It's not possible. You've probably experienced it yourself that when you have a hurt relationship in your life, it affects everything. Just yesterday, I was texting with my neighbor. I have the greatest neighbors. I love these people. And we had kind of a misunderstanding where he, did, he thought that I was joking and I thought that he was joking. It turns out neither of us were joking. And for several hours there, I, I told my wife, I can't think about anything else. I'm, I'm upset that, you know, me and my neighbor aren't on good terms right now and we got it sorted out and all. But my point is when, you're, when something's wrong in a relationship, it affects every part of your life. It's hard to feel good and be normal. And on the other hand, when relationships are good, when everything's firing on all cylinders, it's like something comes alive in you that's not alive when your relationships are broken. And that's why consistently, you know, researchers, what they say is that the number one factor in a person's well-being, a person's sense of satisfaction and general happiness in life, it's not having money or, or even having success or even having fame. It is good relationships. It's relationships. See, the difficulty, though, that all of us face, we're relational beings, and yet we live, especially us now, not only do we live in a broken world, but those of us alive today in our society, we live in the most individualistic society that has ever existed, perhaps in the history of the world. And as a result, a ton of research, you know, has been done on this factor. And, and as a result, we have these staggering rates of mental health issues. And a lot of mental health issues, they're saying, are related to this sense of isolation and loneliness in our society, which has only been exasperated by our online culture. So, so we got into this online culture because we wanted to be more connected, and we are, but even in this, we're still more isolated, and it's leading to even more problems. And this has reached epidemic levels. Just last year, the United Kingdom appointed a special government task force and a leader of that task force to deal with the problem of loneliness in their society because the link between loneliness and mental health problems is very strong. So as a society and as individuals, we're made for relationships, we long for relationships, but we're broken. And as a result, our relationships are broken. So what can be done? What, what option, what hope do we have? Well, here in Romans chapter 12, we have a section from the Bible, which is all about interpersonal relationships. But here's the thing I, I don't want you to miss as we look at this. See, this section is very practical. As we move on from uh, the, to the rest of the book of Romans, we're going to see a lot of really practical stuff. But here's what I don't want you to miss. Uh, if you think that all this is about is just kind of tips and strategies, some good advice from the Bible about how you can live better and be a better person or, you know, just some life hacks to help you succeed in life, you're missing the point of this section. There's something much deeper, much bigger going on here, and that's why the title of today's message is How the Gospel Transforms Relationships. And if you don't get that part, that this is about how the gospel transforms relationships, then you're missing this whole thing. See, this isn't just relationship advice from the Bible. This is something much more powerful than that, much deeper than that. 
See, this is, what we need is not just good advice. There's a lot of good advice out there. What we need is to get to the very heart, the root of the problem. We need to get at the core of what's causing the problem. And what we need, more than anything, is transformation. Last week, Mike taught, and, and he said this phrase, which was great, and I just want to repeat it, that transformation means being changed from the inside out. So transformation means being changed from the, changed from the inside out. It's not superficial. It's not just dealing with the symptoms. It's dealing with the core, the root, the heart of the problem. And so that's why here in this section, it really begins in chapter 1. We're starting in chapter, in verse 3, because, I'm sorry, it starts in uh, Verse 1, we're starting in verse 3 because Mike looked at the first two verses last week. We're starting in verse 3 now, but I got to tell you, we can't understand this section unless we go back to verse 1 where it says this. Therefore, right? That word therefore, whenever you see that in the Bible, just circle, highlight, underline. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself the question, what is that therefore? Therefore, right? So uh, in the therefore in chapter uh, 12, verse 1 is referring to everything that came before it. So 11 chapters worth of material, everything that came before it. And what it's saying is, because of everything that I've told you up until now, here's what it means. Here's what it means for you practically. Here's the implication moving forward. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has been explaining to us and showing us what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus Christ. He explained to us that the root issue of what's wrong with the world, but not just with the world, what's even wrong with each of us individually is sin. God is righteous and we are unrighteous. And not only is sin messing up the world, not only is it messing up our lives, but it has eternal implications as well. See, God is going to judge the world righteously and he's going to judge us too. But see, here's the amazing, incredible, earth-shattering news. It's this, that God sent his son to die for us. He sent Jesus, who came and he lived the life that we should have lived. He fulfilled all of God's righteous requirements on our behalf. And he died in our place. He died the death that we should have died. He took the judgment for us in our place. And that's God's gift to us. It's what he gives us. Jesus is perfect righteousness. He gives it to us as a gift. He accounts it to us. And he uh, took our unrighteousness on himself. And so as a result of that, because of the gospel, now we can stand before God unashamed and without fear. And rather than eternal judgment, we get eternal life. And so Paul says, in light of all that, therefore, therefore, here's what that means practically for your life every day moving forward from here. He begins in chapter 12 by talking about how the gospel transforms our relationships. That was what we see here. And so here's kind of an outline for the chapter. The gospel changes the way that we relate to, number one, God. That's what we looked at last week. Uh, number two, the gospel changes how we relate to ourselves. And the gospel also changes how we relate to one another and even to our enemies. So last Sunday, Mike led us through the first one of those, how the gospel changes how we relate to God. So next Sunday, we're going to be talking about how the gospel changes and transforms the way that we relate to culture and society. So you won't want to miss that. But this Sunday, today, we're looking at uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 3, and looking at how the gospel changes our relationships interpersonally with other people. So, number one, the gospel changes our relationship or transforms our relationship with ourselves. 
Paul begins in verse 3. He says, For by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know, most of us, what we struggle with is some of us struggle with thinking too highly of ourselves and others of us struggle with thinking too lowly of ourselves. But here's what's incredible about the gospel. The gospel doesn't allow us to think too highly of ourselves, nor does it allow us to think too lowly of ourselves. I'll explain that in just a second. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. But you know, in the past, say, 30, 40 years, there's been this big movement encouraging people to have more self-esteem. And in many ways, that's a very good thing because, for example, it is encouraged women to uh, respect themselves and not to tolerate mistreatment. And as a dad with two daughters, I like that. I I want my girls to grow up in a world where they're going to be respected and valued and treated well. And I want them to know that they have value. So the self-esteem movement has really helped people understand that they don't deserve to be abused or mistreated by others. But on the other hand, see, the the focus of the self-esteem movement also feeds into something inside of us in our human nature. And that is that we all have a tendency to be self-consumed, self-absorbed, self-centered. We spend most of our time thinking about ourselves. I was talking to somebody this week and, and uh, this person was telling me that they were really worried about what other people thought about them and in this particular area of their life. And, and what I told this person was I said, look, here's the thing that I've learned over the years, right? Is that nobody's as obsessed with you as you are, right? And though you think that everybody's thinking about you because you're always thinking about you. But you know what they're thinking about? They're all thinking about themselves. And so it's like everybody's just totally obsessed with thinking about themselves, spends all this time thinking about themselves, and they all think that other people are thinking about them. But the truth is, those people aren't thinking about them. They're also thinking about themselves too. And that's why it's such a rare and special thing when you meet somebody who's truly genuinely thoughtful or who who truly genuinely listens in a conversation rather than just waiting for you to stop so they can say their piece. See, because you have, uh, it's totally possible to have low self-esteem and still be completely self-centered. Do you know that, right? Like, so it's possible to have low self-esteem and still be completely self-centered and self-absorbed. And there's a danger in that. And here's what it is. The studies continually show that there is a link between self-absorption and depression. Basically, the more you think about yourself, the more unhappy you will be. And so what's the solution? 
Paul is telling us here in Romans 12, verse 3, that what we need to do is we need to let the gospel shape the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we view ourselves. He says in verse 3, we're to think about ourselves with sober judgment. That means to have an accurate, well-balanced view of ourselves. And the way that we do that is by letting the gospel inform and shape the way that we think about ourselves and view ourselves. That's why he says at the end of verse 3, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So the gospel is the standard by which we measure ourselves. And here's the reason. Because here's the thing I said earlier. The gospel prevents us from thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And it also prevents us from thinking more lowly of ourselves than we ought to. The only way to have truly sober, balanced view of who we really are is by viewing ourselves through the lens of the gospel. Here's why. See, the gospel message tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of of God's glory. That all of us have sinned. And in order for us to be saved, we need God to rescue us, to do a miracle. We can't save ourselves. It's God who comes to us and rescues us from our own meth mess. And, and see, that truth, it humbles us on the one hand, but it lifts us up on the other hand, right? Because it says that uh, we can't think that we're better than other people. We're all on a level playing field. We're all sinners who can't save ourselves. And yet it tells us that we're extremely valuable and precious to God, that God loves you, that you're absolutely precious and valuable to him. You're not allowed to think of yourself as worthless or trash because look, he left heaven for you. He suffered and died for you. He traded a crown of glory for a crown of thorns for you. That's how precious you are to him. That's how much value you have in his eyes. And so don't undervalue yourself. Don't think that you're worthless. And it's not okay for other people to misuse you or or abuse you. No, you should not think too highly of yourself nor too lowly of yourself. You should have sober judgment. See, the way of life and joy is to think soberly about yourself, not more highly than you ought, nor more lowly than you ought. You know, so many of us spend our lives, so many people and so many of us, we spend our lives trying to create value. How many of you can relate to that? You create, you're trying to create value. You're trying to do things to prove that you have value. Trying to create reasons for people that you can point to and say, this is why I matter. This is why my life matters. This is why I have value. This is why I'm worthy to be loved and accepted because I can do this thing or because I look this way or because I've accomplished this or because I have this attribute. Therefore, you should love me and accept me. And you know what this leads to? It it leads to pride. So when we're talking about not having pride, see, this is what it leads to. If you're always trying to prove yourself, it leads to pride. And the reason is because what we do, one of the ways that we find our value is by pointing to things that we see as weaknesses in other people and strengths in ourselves. And we say, well, look, I'm more valuable than that person is because I can do this thing or I have this attribute. And you know, this leads to all kinds of things like prejudice and racism. Think about that. If you're always trying to prove that you have value by pointing to somebody else and saying, I have value because I'm better than that person in this area, whether it's my race or my status, and you say, that is what gives me value. That's why I'm better than those people. The message of the gospel totally undercuts that. It says you can't do that. And here's why. You already have value. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to prove it. You already have value. Look at what God has done 
for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove it. And therefore, you don't have to put other people down. You certainly don't have to find your value in being better than other people. See, in this section specifically, and starting in verse 4 as we get into the next point, he's going to be talking about gifting. About gifting. And this is an area, right, where people tend to get prideful. And here's what he's going to say. He's going to say, hey, even if you are gifted in a certain area, don't let that be a source of pride. First of all, you got that from God. It's not from you anyway. And how could you look down on other people? Uh, you are to be using your gifting for the building up and the lifting up of other people. So rather, your sense of value and your sense of worth, it needs to be rooted in the gospel, that you are loved by God, that he loves you so much that he gave his son for you. He invited you into a relationship with him so that he could spend eternity with you. And when you really get that, here's what it does. It makes you, on the one hand, incredibly humble, and on the other hand, incredibly confident. So you can be incredibly humble at the same time that you're incredibly confident because of what Jesus did for you. And what it does is it takes, it sets you free to take your focus off of yourself and it sets you free that you can actually focus on other people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this, Jesus died so that we who live would no longer live for ourselves. See, we now live for something bigger than ourselves. We live for God, for his mission, which is all about reaching other people, building bridges, and reaching people with truth and grace. So that brings us to our second point. The gospel transforms our relationships with one another. See, there's this term, one another, that's used throughout the Bible. It's used 53 times in the New Testament, one another. It's used three times here in these verses, uh, verses uh, 4 through 16. And whenever this phrase, one another, is used in the Bible, it's referring to how Christians are to relate to each other. So it says things throughout the Bible like, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, be dedicated to one another, live in harmony with one another, love one another, be devoted to one another. And so what we have here in verses 4 through 16 is a description of how, as Christians, we are to relate to one another in light of what Jesus has done for us and who we are in him. And the metaphor he uses here is the metaphor of a body. Now all of us have a body, right? So we can relate to this. Your body has different parts, like your eye has different abilities than your liver. You know, your eye can do things that your liver can't do, but your liver can also do things that your eye can't do. They both have their function, and they're both very important. Now, some parts of your body are very visible. Some parts of your body get a lot of attention. And other parts of your body are not visible to people's eyes, but they're still doing a function that is absolutely vital. Like, you can live without an eye or without a hand, but you can't live without a liver, right? So the, the parts that are doing the work behind the scenes are also vitally important out of sight. And so at the, in the same way, the church, the body of Christ— there's great diversity in roles and functions. Some parts are more visible than others, but all parts are important. And when the body is, part of the body is hurt or part of the body is missing, the whole body suffers because we need each other. So there's a sense of interdependency in this picture of a body. And here's the other thing. You can't be a body by yourself. Think of some of the pictures that God uses to describe who his people are called to be. He says, you're a city set on a hill. 
guess what? You can't be a city all by yourself. And you can't be a body all by yourself. You're a part of a body, but you're not a body on, on your own. So just imagine how creepy that would be, like, right, rogue hand, like walking across the floor. You get a hammer, and you beat that thing to death. You don't want to see a rogue hand walking around. You see a pancreas just lying around watching TV by himself. It'd be weird. In the same way, Christianity was never meant to be a, a solitary endeavor, just between you and God. See, Christianity, the church isn't just like a support group where you have your relationship with God and then you join a, a support group or a club. No, we're saved when, when we are brought into the body and made part of the people of God. You see, Christianity was not meant to be a solitary practice. It's a group activity. You can't do it alone. You need to be connected to the body. You need to be connected to other people. And using your gifts, you need what they have, and they need what you have in order to be whole and healthy. He says in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. When, when the different parts of the body understand what their function is and they work together in cooperation, contributing what each of them can contribute, then in a beautiful way, the work of God is done through the church as a body. It reminds me of the tool convention. You know, in the workshop, there was a convention. All the tools got together and the hammer was residing over the meeting. And, and he stood up and he started the meeting, but immediately the screwdriver objected and he said, I object, hammer, because all you do is make a a lot of noise. You're always driving home your point. You're always nailing people on things. And the hammer said to the screwdriver, well, you know what? All you ever do is screw around, right? Because he's a, he's a screwdriver. And the screwdriver said, well, what about the plane? I mean, look at this guy. His work is so totally shallow. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 